Metamore Studios proudly presents Metamore City, Season 2, a podcast series written and performed by Chris Lester. For show notes and author contact information, please visit metamorecity.com. Featuring the vocal talents of May Bregal, Black Sim, Nobilis Reed, Philippa Ballantyne, Kim Dodge, Kimmy Alexander. These stories may contain adult language, sexual situations, and graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. And now, Dreams of Change, Part 1. The alarm rang. I stretched out and slapped the snooze button. I hated getting up so early, but it was the only way to get the bathroom to myself. Turning my hand over, back and forth, I regarded the contrast between the dark skin on the back of my hand and the paler skin of my palms. Crap. If I remembered my dreams, it would be easier to take, but as always, the tenuous visions slipped away before I could grasp them. What was going on in my dreams to make this happen? I sat up, stretched, and pulled the sheets back to survey the situation. A pair of large breasts lay on my chest, with areolas that faded into the espresso background of my skin. Below that, my slightly rounded belly, and then a vulva completely clean of hair. I ran my hand over my head, feeling little nubs of tight, dry curls. A quick flex of my limbs told me they all worked properly. I had that much, at least. I climbed out of bed and shut off the alarm clock before it could sound again. I needed to hurry. The bathrobe hung from me like a tent, but it would suffice between my bedroom and the shower. I grabbed my key and my overloaded basket of toiletries and headed out the door. Leo was just coming out of his room next door to mine. Uh, you're Ben, right? Yep, happened again. My voice had a velvet softness to it, even first thing in the morning, and I shook my head in dismay. I did not want to be pretty. Pretty was bad. At least you've got all your arms and legs. I know, I know. I should be grateful for small gifts. I glared down the hall at Herb Matheson, who was staring openly at me from the lounge. But, honestly, this sucks. Leo shook his head. Yeah. Whatever, dude. He pulled the door shut and hefted his book bag. I walked past Matheson without a word. He gave me that sneering, almost-not-there smile he always gave when no one was looking. I stepped into a shower stall and hung my robe so that it covered the gap between the door and the wall. I heard Matheson moving around outside, running water, splashing around, pretending he had business in the bathroom. Not for the first time, I cursed the dorm director. I could, if I wished, go down and use the bathrooms on the floor below, but after one visit I decided I'd rather shower on my own floor. At least here I only had to deal with Matheson. Even though none of them touched me, showering there would not be an option if I wanted to avoid sexual encounters. I tried to let the warm spray wash the tension away, along with everything else. I picked out a mild, unscented shampoo and did my best to get the strange hair on my head clean, A mild body wash and a soft washcloth felt good on my skin. A little too good. Damn it! why couldn't my transformations leave me with a female mind to go with a female body? 
Running the washcloth over the supple shapes drew the same reaction as if I had been caressing it in the third person rather than the first, and before long I found myself becoming aroused. The feel of a woman's body wasn't new to me. I'd had breasts dozens of times before. I'd had a vulva dozens of times before. Sometimes they were more sensitive, sometimes less. After just one pass with the washcloth, I knew I was in trouble. It just felt too good. I washed as quickly as possible, keeping control. Matheson was out there. He would hear. I turned off the water, dried off, and wrapped the bathrobe around my body again, making sure that none of my cleavage showed. At the sink, I brushed my teeth quickly, ignoring my tormentor, who loitered at the bathroom door. He had something planned for me I could tell from the smug expression on his face. Before taking up my basket, I wove my hands and spoke the phrases to awaken my magic. Uh-uh-uh, Matheson scolded. You know the rules. No spell casting in the dorms. He stepped forward and grabbed my hand, spoiling the incantation. Rules are rules, Benita. I'm going to have to report this to Miss Kennedy. His voice was low and cold. I yanked my hand out of his. I felt like I needed another shower. Fine. Whatever. Now you get out of the way. You're making me late for class. You know, you could be nicer to me. Things would go a lot smoother for you. Fuck you, Matheson. I'm not going to play your pigeon shit games. Are you going to get out of my fucking way or not? The little freak's got quite a mouth. He let the acid words out with a creepy sweetness that made my skin want to retreat to the other side of my body. I bit back a spell. I wanted to make him suffer, but with his family connections, anything I did would more than likely just cascade back at me. What do you want? You isolate yourself. You hide. He stepped close and plucked at the collar of my bathrobe. You have this thing wrapped around you like a suit of armor. Why don't you let people see what you're really like? A flash of skin? Is that what you want? I couldn't muster a smile, but he let his guard down anyways. I put my hands between his, stepped left, grabbed his wrist, and pivoted. He tripped over my ankle, throwing out his arms to keep his balance. As he stumbled through the doorway, something flashed and crackled. Black tentacles erupted from the doorway, grabbing him by the arms and legs and holding him suspended in midair. Leo, standing in the hall, looked at the two of us and slunk away. He didn't want to get involved. No one ever wanted to get involved. Matheson hung there, spitting and growling. You're not gonna get away with this! I ducked under the tentacles and out into the hallway, past Matheson and down the hall to my room. I slammed the door behind me and sat on the bed. I had escaped without significant incident, but it didn't feel that way. Rage and shame roiled in my stomach, and I had to fight to keep from breaking down into tears. He was not going to get to me. When I finally got myself under control, the clock showed that I only had minutes to get to class. I pulled open the dresser drawer with my female clothes in it and fumbled around for some underwear that would fit, but none of the bras were big enough. I tried. I knew I would pay for leaving out that essential undergarment, but I didn't know then how much. I spat a curse and grabbed a t-shirt from the large pile on top of the dresser. The t-shirt read Ben Stansfield across the front, just like the rest of them. A pair of white cotton panties and a mid-calf denim skirt went on quick. 
I strapped on a pair of adjustable sandals and scooped up my backpack on my way out the door. Miss Kennedy and Matheson were in the lobby, talking by the front desk when I came off the lift, but I didn't stop to give them any more opportunities to harass me. I hustled out onto the street, painfully conscious of the movement underneath my shirt. Not only was it gathering even more attention, but every bounce twinged in my shoulders and breasts. I hugged my arms over them for support while I jogged. I managed to make it to class only a few minutes late. I tried to slip in quietly and take a seat in the back, but Dr. Swallowtail acknowledged my presence with a stern reminder that there were assigned seats in her class. She flew back to the overhead projector and wrote out another series of runes, holding the marker in both tiny hands. As a pixie, she could have moved it by magic, but she saved that for demonstrations. Yes, ma'am. I hustled down the stairs to the front of the hall to my usual seat, trying to look small and inconspicuous. Someone was already there. Worse, he was wearing a Ben Stansfield t-shirt. He looked up at me, then back at Dr. Swallowtail. Nice joke, whoever you are. Now fuck off. Joke? I stamped my foot. Dr. Swallowtail flew up to her lectern, where the amplification spell would make her tiny voice audible through the entire room. Mr. Stansfield, if you're having some kind of dispute, take it out into the hall. No problem here, ma'am, said the imposter. In that case, I expect no more trouble. The jerk snickered as I slid into the empty seat behind him and took out my notebook. I let the frustration ebb out of me as I opened myself to the lecture. I let the indignities go as I listened and wrote. For the first time the whole morning, I felt comfortable. This was where I belonged. The lecture ended too soon. Dr. Swallowtail dismissed the class, but questions and theories still danced in my brain. I scribbled them in my notebook before they evaporated and then crossed the narrow gap to the lectern. Dr. Swallowtail, if I may... No, you may not. She looked up from the console built into her lectern and regarded me with ice in her eyes. Others may find your little games amusing, Mr. Stansfield, but I do not. When you learn that my class is a serious endeavor and show me by treating it with the gravity it deserves, I will be happy to discuss anything relating to our discipline. She turned back to her notes and waved a dismissive hand in my direction. Until then, good day. I felt like I had been kicked in the teeth. But... Good day. Go back to your guild. I'm sure you'll get answers more suited to your kind. I fought the crowd coming in to get to the door. Two guys brushed against my chest more closely than they had to, but I hardly noticed. I found an empty classroom and collapsed into a chair. I told myself I was taking a break to get myself under control, but it was a lie. Tears dropped onto the desk. My tears. Why did it have to be so easy to cry when I was female? Why did I have to be female at all? Why did I deserve this? The chair next to me squeaked against the floor, a hand on my shoulder. Are you all right? I looked up. He had those rugged features women went for. Dark eyebrows, angular jaw, and deep blue eyes. Yeah, I'm... I'm okay. I just... I leaned back and choked back the tears. I had to get myself together. What's... oh. His face darkened as he spotted the name across my chest. You. 
The one and only. I snorted, half laughing, half crying. My composure was returning, but slowly. His mouth tightened into a thin line, the look of someone weighing whether the stories were true. I held his gaze, blinking away the last few tears. He shook his head and stood abruptly, knocking the chair away. Freak. When he was gone, I went over to the window. How many stories was it to the next skyway down? Ten? Twelve? It looked like a long way. I put my hand on the transparent plastic that separated me from the yawning void. Supposedly, the walls were woven with spells to prevent anything from penetrating them, but I knew a spell that would transform the tough plastic window back into petroleum sludge. Excuse me, is this, um, a nyromancy? A bat-form theriomorph stood in the doorway. Her voice was high, almost too high to hear. Large blue ears stood out from the sides of her head, and her nose turned up at a disturbing angle. Dark fur covered her gangly arms. I don't know. I'm just... um... Wait, you're Ben Stansfield? I had trouble pulling emotional context from her piercing voice. Yes. I hugged my arms around my belly, preparing for yet another assault. My name's Natalie Grace. Pleased to meet you. She held out a hand with impossibly long fingers. I hesitated. She withdrew. A fleeting grimace crossed her face that might have been a smile. I need to find my class. Sorry to bother you. She left before I could say anything. Crap, crap, crap! One moment, not even a second, thinking, why would somebody want to look like that voluntarily? She saw it. She saw the hesitation and took off before I could humiliate her further. I followed her out into the hallway. Natalie, wait. I ran around in front of her and offered my hand. Ben Stansfield, you surprised me. I'm not used to people reacting to me that way. Her spindly fingers felt oddly cold against my palm, but I didn't mind. She smiled back. I really am looking for an Iromancy. She checked her watch and shook her head. I might as well skip it now. Then, uh, can I buy you coffee? Her smile revealed the set of pointed teeth. I'd like that. We found a quiet table in the back of the student union, shielded from the busy main floor by a planter full of greenery. She took her coffee black iced, in a wide cup. I have to ask, she said after taking a few laps with her tongue. Is it true? I grunted like I'd been hit in the gut. I'm sorry. I only just met you. I shouldn't have pried. Forget I said anything. She looked down into her coffee. No, no. It's all right. I sighed. Every few nights, my magic takes control and transforms me. If I'm lucky, there's time between transformations for me to spend a day or two in my natural form. That sounds inconvenient. I groaned. Look, I can handle having to have six kinds of baggy clothes ready for whatever kind of body I can find myself in on any given morning. I can handle having to prove my identity on a regular basis. What really bothers me is the crap I get from everyone about it. It's not like I want to be like this. But everyone assumes it's some kind of game. She flicked her ears. You don't believe me. 
Well, I've heard people say if you really didn't like the shape you wake up with, you could just cancel the spell or transform yourself back or something. I've tried, believe me, but this isn't a spell cast on me. It's more fundamental than that. Dispelling it is like trying to bite your own ear. It just doesn't work. My transmutation teacher even had a go at it. And how did that go? She said I had a mental problem. Supposedly I was fighting her or something. She sent me to a psychiatrist. He said it had to do with all kinds of secret fantasies and subconscious wish fulfillment and crap like that. I went to him twice a week for six months. Didn't help in the least. Finally, he said that when I really wanted it to stop, it would stop. But until then I was stuck. I tried wearing a restraining band at night, but they itch. It's horrible. Can't sleep with it on. Wow, that's terrible. I drank the rest of my coffee and crumpled the cup in my hand. Yeah. I threw the ball into a nearby trash bin and leaned back in my chair. So, that's my sad story. How about you? Why a bat? What? Hey, if you're allowed to ask prying questions, so am I. Why a bat? I waved my hand in the direction of the dozens of students milling around in the lounge. When women take the curse, it's something they think is attractive. Felines, rabbits, birds, mice, raccoons. Either that or something powerful. Wolves, bears, eagles. I didn't have much choice. My family have been batmorphs for generations. That makes more sense. I don't know. I don't particularly like looking like this, but I suppose I have it better than you. At least I have some control. She set the cup aside, now holding mostly ice. Thanks for the coffee, Ben, and the conversation, but I need to go. Skipping one class is enough for today. She stood and gathered up her books. Which way are you going? I'll walk you there. No one had treated me so fairly in months. I didn't want it to end. Unfortunately, her class was only around the corner and up one floor, and I could only prolong our conversation by a few more minutes. At the door to the classroom, we exchanged phone numbers. I couldn't stop smiling. It didn't matter that she was hideous by any objective standard. She liked me. At lunch, I found myself scanning the cafeteria for Natalie, lingering over a meal I usually rushed through. Instead, two of Matheson's cronies spotted me. One of them winked. I groaned and put down my fork. My appetite, already mostly sated, disappeared. I stood up. He said something to his buddy, and they both laughed. I took my tray to the cleanup station and ducked out into the hallway. Matheson lurked right around the corner. Hey, Benita. Where are you running off to? Time to take another shower? Fuck off, Matheson. I tried to slip past him, but he grabbed my arm. I got a witness who'll swear you cast a spell at me in the dorm. His breath smelled of garlic. I stiffened, and he felt it. He moved in. You make trouble, and your history, Benita. I shivered. It's a lie. I didn't do anything. Oh, yeah? All Leo saw, you cast a spell, and the next thing you know, I'm spread eagle in the doorway. I tried to speak, but the words wouldn't come. It was true. That's what Leo saw. Even if I could get him under a truth spell, he'd be able to stand by his story, and my chances of getting that far were slim. The fact was, I had tried to cast a spell in the dorms. It didn't matter that someone else had put a ward on the bathroom door, or that Matheson had tripped it instead of me. 
of my already shaky reputation with the administration, I'd be out on my ass before I could blink. They didn't like my kind, sorcerers, and they'd take any excuse to get rid of me. Midnight. You come to my room tonight for a little show, and I'll forget the whole thing. You got a really hot body this time, and it's a shame you're the only one who gets to enjoy it. Something told me a show wasn't all he had in mind. Fuck you. I stomped on his foot. He yelped and I wrenched my arm out of his grip. He groveled through clenched teeth. You like being a girl, Vanita. Face it. You like it. And we all know it. I ran, his shouts bouncing off the walls behind me. So just take the curse and join the fucksluts on the Andy floor. You'll fit right in. By the time I got to my room, I was hysterical. I collapsed onto the bed and curled up in a ball. Fuck the classes. I wanted to climb into bed and stay there until my body returned to normal. Did I really want this? The very thought was absurd. Why would anyone want to be treated the way they treated me? Why would anyone choose this hell? When the tears finally subsided, I turned onto my back. I couldn't go on like this. I had to get myself together. No one was going to scrape me up and put the pieces back. I sat up and rubbed my eyes. I looked at the wooden prosthetic limbs lying on the table next to the bed, waiting for me. I wanted them. They were anonymity, protection. No one bothered me when I was just ordinary Ben Stansfield, cripple. They were my friends. Loyal. Dependable. My phone rang. I fished in my backpack for it. Hello? Ben Stansfield? His voice was calm. I didn't recognize it. Yes? My name's John Randall. I heard about what happened outside the cafe. I want to let you know that you're not alone. I'm not? No. He's a bigot and an asshole, and he doesn't deserve to be an RA. I want to get him thrown off the dorm staff. Can you come down to the sixth floor tonight? Uh, I don't know. I shook my head, trying to dispel the images of that disastrous morning in the sixth floor showers. I knew they weren't going to assault me, but with everything happening with Matheson, I had no appetite for their sort of entertainment. I just want to talk, Ben. Maybe there's a friend you can bring with you. Natalie. Hmm, maybe. I'll have to check. Meet me at nine in the main lounge. All right. I hung up the connection and dialed. She didn't pick up. Her automatic message clicked on. Natalie Grace, leave a message. Natalie, it's Ben Stansfield. There's this meeting on the sixth floor tonight at nine, and I'd like you to come with me. Maybe we could meet at dinner beforehand? Call me back. I returned the phone to my backpack. The ray of hope that something could be done about my situation did wonders for my mood. I checked the time. I could make history class and salvage something from the day. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. You can do this. After a brief stop at the bathroom to splash some water on my face, I headed out. You've been listening to episode 46 of the Metamore City Podcast. Written by Nobilis Reed. Performed by Chris Lester. Edited by Paulette Jackson. This episode featured the voice talents of Chris Lester as Ben Stansfield and Imposter Ben, Mae Breakall as Female Ben, 
lacked Saber as Leo, Nobilis Reed as Herb Matheson, Philippa Valentine as Professor Swallowtail, Tim Dodge as male student number one, Kimmy Alexander as Natalie Grace, and Thomas Reed as John Randall. Some music provided by David Beard at davidbeardmusic.com, used with permission. Other music and sound effects provided by Digital Juice at digitaljuice.com, SoundSnap at soundsnap.com, and the Free Sound Project at freesound.org. Additional music and sound effects produced by Chris Lester. This audio adaptation of Dreams of Change was recorded and mixed at Metamore Studios in Berkeley, California. The story is copyright 2009 by Nobilis Reed, and the recording is copyright 2010 by Chris Lester. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. We'll be back with more of the Metamore City Podcast right after these messages. Everyone dreams. But what would you do if you suddenly found out that you were one of the few who creates dreams for the whole world? Would you use your power to harness the light and to weave it into beautiful tapestries of magic and wonder? Or would you fall prey to the seductive siren song of darkness and nightmares? For tattoo artist Aura Mayville, this becomes a reality as she is ripped from her life of art and music and thrust into a realm where good and evil struggle for control over the minds and hearts of men. With a sarcastic sorcerer, a mercenary, and her spirit guide as her only companions, Aura must journey through the dream realm to discover both her power and where her heart truly lies. In a place where anything is possible, can she find the strength to hold on to herself, or will she be lost to the shadows forever? Join Aura on her quest in The Dreamer's Thread, a free podcast audiobook written and read by Starla Hutchton, available beginning July 2009. For more information, go to www. .thedreamersthreadnovel.com Meet Lady Sophie Sinclair. She's no stranger to scandal. A fact which has not stopped the grand dams of the ton or her arrogant brother from expecting wedding bells in her near future. Enter Lord Zachary Quinley, an irresistible earl whose easygoing personality promises a marriage free of dictatorial entanglements. The trouble is, in order for Sophie to have him, she'll have to go head-to-head with the man she left standing at the altar. Upon the death of his father, Lord Andrew Walter returns home to take his rightful place as head of the family, and to take a wife. His requirements are simple. He wants a docile bride who can fill a duchess's shoes. When he meets the unassuming Lady Abigail Quinley, it appears his search is over, until he comes face-to-face with the woman who broke his heart. When Andrew and Sophie set their sights on members of the same family, they embark on a dangerous game of bluff and call. Tempers and desires flare as the two do their best to outwit one another. But fate has other plans, including a seduction that changes everything. The jilting of the century becomes the talk of the season and the romance of a lifetime. 
Trapping a Duchess features a hero and heroine as passionate as they are stubborn. You can hear their story at www.mishbeck.com. That's M-I-C-H-B-E-K.com. Hi, this is P.C. Herring, author of Cybrosis, a cyberpunk podcast novel, dropping live over at www.cybrosisnovel.com. And you are listening to the Metamore City Podcast by Chris Lester. And we're back, and we're late. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I have no excuse. Just life getting away from me. And a host of technical difficulties that I should have foreseen and planned to deal with better. I'm hoping that we are back on track now. And uh, hopefully we will not get any more delays in the production of this story. Fingers crossed. So this is the first installment in Nobilis's Dreams of Change story. This story has six parts. You heard the first part today. I'm going to try to get the additional parts lumped in two at a time into future episodes so that our story length is about 40 minutes, which is our standard. We'll see how that goes. It's going to require some creative processing from me and Paulette in order to make sure that happens, but uh, I'm optimistic that we can make it work. In the meantime, you can send in your feedback on this episode to 206-202-8530. That's 206-202-8530. You can also email feedback at metamorecity.com or participate in the discussion forums at thecurse.org or the Facebook group Fans of Metamore City. The first feedback show for Season 2 is in the can and should be released in the next week or so. Tune in and hear me, Dan, and Genevieve Seven, the new voice of Abby Preston, answer your emails with a voicemail show to follow shortly, we hope. The podcasting triple threat double dip contest has been officially extended until the end of February. This is the contest where you go to our websites, mine and J. Daniel Sawyer's and Philippa Ballantine's, and print out bookmarks that we've created and put them into books in your favorite bookstore or local library. You can find all of the instructions on our websites. That's metamorecity.com, jdsawyer.net, and pjballantine.com, and that's B-A-L-L-A-N-T-I-N-E. Go to those sites, check out the rules, enter, and you can win a whole basket of goodies. And your chances of winning are pretty good right now because we've only had a few entries. So hurry up and get those entries in as quickly as possible. Again, you have until the end of February to send us your pictures of yourself planting those bookmarks to spread the word about digital magic, antithesis, and Metamore City. Lastly, I have a special request for you all. Two members of our podcasting family have been rocked by separate crises in these last few weeks. T. Morris, the father of the podcast novel and the voice of Evan Selindi in Metamore City, has just recently lost his wife to the flu. This leaves him as the sole provider for their daughter, Sonic Boom. Meanwhile, Allison Duncan, the producer of the excellent video podcast Calls for Cthulhu, is locked in a horrific legal battle to preserve custody of her own daughter, Elf Princess. 
Things are looking up on that front. There's a good chance that they're going to win, but the cost of the legal battles is putting Allie in an ugly spot financially. Now, I know that we're all in tough financial waters right now. Dear gods, do I know it. Many of you have probably already sacrificed to help the survivors of the earthquake in Haiti. That is a good and honorable thing, and I thank you for your compassion. But we here in the podcasting family have two little girls who need our help, too. One who has lost her mother, and one who's in danger of being taken away from hers. And they don't have the benefit of celebrity telethons and emergency government aid packages. They just have us. So if you can spare anything, anything at all, please head over to the links on the website and drop some money into the chip-in coffers for Elf Princess and Sonic Boom. Do it. I can't believe I'm actually going to say this, but do it for the children. Because if we don't, who will? That's all for this time. The next episode will be released on the weekend of February 6th, 2010. What is John's plan to remove Matheson? And what will happen to Ben when it's set in motion? Come back in two weeks and find out. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. Testing, testing, testing. What is it? <laughs> Sprite voice, I guess. I don't particularly... <sighs>